Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Hand in Hand show, a part of Stroke Focus. Today, I'm here with Chris Tooley, who had a stroke 2013 at the age of 27. He had no family history of stroke, no risk factors, and no obvious genetic disorders. Doctors determined the stroke was caused by a spontaneous vertebral artery dissection. Unfortunately, dissections are one of the leading causes of strokes in younger people. So after spending months in therapy to correct the loss of his vestibular function, Chris fully recovered. However, he had lingering nerve pain in his face that was getting progressively worse. He was diagnosed with central post-stroke pain syndrome and received treatment at Vanderbilt's Pain Management Clinic. They tried over 25 medications, nerve blocks, Botox, and Eastern medicine therapies with little to no relief. Chris was desperate and despondent. He was told that his future was likely to be filled with an increasing amount of opiates that only provided temporary pain relief. So we're going to go in and we're going to talk to him more about this and about how he's doing now. So Chris, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure. I love meeting people and hearing their stories. I mean, I know we all kind of have aches and pains afterwards, but for something so bad to have to use opiates and everything, tell us from the beginning just a little more background on your stroke and uh, how you found things. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So like you said, my uh, stroke happened in 2013. I was 27, about to turn 28, uh, happily married, no kids. Um, and I was actually living in Nashville, my wife and I were, and I was a tour photographer for a couple different country artists. Um, and we had just arrived back to Nashville after doing a show in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Um, I had woken up on the tour bus and was about to go meet my wife. Um, she's a school teacher. And within about a half hour of waking up, I started noticing the right side of my face was going numb. And I just remember thinking, well, that's kind of weird. Um, and again, I'm, I'm 27. I've really never, ever thought about stroke before ever got in the car with a friend who was taking me to my my wife's school which was uh nearby and on the short drive there had it started having a splitting headache couldn't swallow started getting really dizzy by the time I got to my wife's school when I got out of the car I, I was I couldn't even stand up I was falling over um and luckily the school nurse was there and uh she took my blood pressure and immediately was like we're getting in my car we're going straight to the hospital something is really really wrong um and, and luckily Vanderbilt uh, university, their medical center is right there. And I uh, was able to to get into the hospital and the ER right away. I uh, ended up spending five nights in the neuro ICU um, while they were trying to determine exactly what had happened. And like you said, so they uh, finally found out after a million tests, it feels like in a million questions that they're asking me that I had had uh, an artery dissection, which is apparently fairly common. Um, but usually it's, it's, typically happens with trauma. So think of like whiplash, some sudden jarring in the neck. You know, you have your carotid arteries in the front of your neck um, by your esophagus. And then you have your uh, vertebral arteries that run up the back of the neck and feed the brain stem. Um, And and mine was one of the vertebral arteries in the back. And uh, they think it was just maybe something that I was born with. Uh, They wouldn't call it a genetic defect of any kind. I don't have any abnormality that they they could see. But um, yeah, so that's really ultimately how it started. Okay. So, yeah, so you're right. The ones, the dissections that I've heard of, uh, a lot of times have been chiropractors, 
uh, mm-hmm. hair salons because apparently when you put your head back yep. on the, uh, uh, I don't even know what they call it on the sink, you know, the way yeah. that your head is, it can, that can cause it. So yeah. So not having anything that you could recall that would have done that is pretty unusual, I would guess. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. How long were you in the hospital? Uh, so I was in the hospital five nights in in the ICU and uh, was definitely the youngest person on the floor, um, yes. which was which was really interesting um, for for a lot of different reasons. But uh, then I was going to go to an outpatient rehabilitation facility because I could not walk at all. I couldn't stand up without falling over because um, it, like you said in in your intro, that it knocked out my uh, vestibular function. So that's the whole inner ear balance system of your your brain and your body. Um, so I was going to go to outpatient therapy, but my insurance denied it. Um, this was again back in 2013. And so I had to do outpatient therapy. So I immediately went home. You know, my wife was working. We had no idea how to take mm-hmm. care of me, how to, how to handle the situation. So it was, it was pretty wild. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So no matter what age you are, this is something that I have found. I was considered a young stroke survivor at, I was 52, but it was the day after my 52nd birth. I was like the youngest person on the rehab floor. And, you know, I was up at nine or 10 o'clock at night and everybody else was in bed like at seven or eight. And while I was exhausted, I still was up. I couldn't, I couldn't sleep and I, I wanted to do things. I have to tell you, I don't know if you had fun with, with this at all. But I talked one of the nurses into playing Wii with me at midnight because they had a Wii. Seriously. I, but That's incredible. I, we want different things. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. the older people, you know, and, and they don't know what to do with this when we're younger. Now, you were really younger, so I'm sure that was even incredibly harder. But just so our young people know that that it is hard and we both. In, in different ways can understand their frustration with going in and having people who are, you know, 60, 70, 80, you know, who've had strokes. And here we are between 20 and 50 ish and the recoveries still can be the same, mm-hmm. but it's not because yeah. you have different wants and needs and, and things. So anyway, that being said, so you did outpatient therapy because they wouldn't, do anything with inpatient. So I'm sorry about that because inpatient therapy is huge, mm-hmm. but I insurance companies and I've learned to fight with them. Oh yeah. And, um, yeah. And, and yes, they don't like you. Do <laughs> No, no, they don't sadly. Yeah. It's uh, yeah. had quite the journey there. Yeah. So I did learn words to use that made it sound dramatic. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so you did outpatient therapy. About how long did you do that, do you think? Yeah, it was about, uh, initially I was uh, given orders for 12 weeks, um, but I actually ended up, I graduated early. So I, I got out in about eight weeks, um, but I was going three times a week um, for uh, outpatient like physical therapy, where I was basically working on retraining my vestibular function. So I was walking a lot and doing all sorts of crazy movements. And, uh, and then I also did a little bit of occupational therapy as well. Cause I had, I had some slight aphasia and just, you know, a couple other, uh, deficiencies. 
So did you do speech therapy? Just a little bit. I, I think I only did about two sessions with that. That came back pretty quickly. I mean, I would still have a, a, a little bit. You know, I can remember my wife loves to tell the story about I, I was um, I loved it being 27. You know, a lot of my doctors were like, you need to go home and play video games. You need to do puzzles. You need to build Legos, do a lot of fine motor skills to get your vision and your and everything built up. And uh, those are all things that I love to do anyway. So that that was right in my wheelhouse. I was like, oh, this is horrible. Don't bother me. I'm working on getting better. Absolutely. It's all day. That's, I have aphasia. How Mm. about you? Does it, okay. So it does come back a little bit more when you're tired or when you're stressed or. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Still get words mixed up every now and then when I'm talking, especially if I'm really amped up about something. That's when I find it, it the most frequently. It's like I'm my mind is going faster than than my mouth can keep up sometimes. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, uh, I'll mix up a word or two. So your brain works faster than your mouth, and sometimes your mouth works faster than your brain. Exactly. It just on the day or something. I don't know. But, yes, so some of us will understand that uh, a lot. Yeah. So um, once your therapy ended, so congratulations on uh, it uh, on eight weeks instead of the 12. Uh, some of us like me still are working several years later on trying to improve things. Are you back working? Yeah, yeah. So I was uh, I ended up being off work for about eight months total after it happened. And then pretty much after that eight month period, I got the all clear from from the doctors that, you know, they, they couldn't figure out any cause that would keep me from going back to a normal life, so to speak. You know, I did all sorts of genetic testing. My wife and I wanted to have kids. We have two kids now, but we went before we had kids, we wanted to make, wanted to make sure that, you know, there wasn't anything that I could, I could pass on. But yeah, everything, I mean, honestly, I had zero, eight months in, I had zero deficits. I mean, I guess that's one of the blessings of having a stroke at 27, um, is, is sometimes you can bounce back a little faster. You know, you've got the, um, my neurosurgeon said, you know, the elasticity of the brain when it's younger is it, like you were saying earlier, rewiring it, it can do that a little easier, mm-hmm. I think. So yeah, really, if you had met me any time in the last five years, besides my pain, you can't see my pain that was going on. Um, but other than that, you'd have no idea I had a stroke. So when I would tell people I had a stroke, everyone was like, what, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I got that too. And I, like I said, I wasn't as young as you, but people would be like, no way. You can have a stroke at any age from in utero to, Mm -hmm. you know, 50 years old or whatever. It doesn't, stroke doesn't discriminate with anything, age, color, you know, nothing. What you eat, what you, you know, it doesn't. You can have somebody who totally like eats fried food because you said you were from nashville so comfort food uh 24 7 and uh no vegetables or somebody like that may not ever have a stroke but then you have somebody who's vegan and runs and exercises and here they go they have a stroke it doesn't matter but i do want to get to the part about your post-stroke pain syndrome Mm -hmm. so I don't know about if it's common or not because I'd never heard of it. But so did this start like immediately or did it start like within a couple of months or you just didn't like in the beginning notice it as much because you were more focused on something else? 
Yeah, um, that's a great question. So mine uh, started, my first inkling of it started when I was still actually in the ICU. So we're talking, you know, within a, a few days of the surgery. Well, where it really started was, you know, I had said during my stroke, my right side of my face went numb and it stayed numb for quite a while after the stroke for a couple of days. And it, then it started coming back to that pins and needles feeling kind of coming out of, you know, anesthesia. If, you, if you've gone to the dentist before where the feeling starts to come back and it's kind of odd, I started to have some really odd, you know, kind of like shooting sharp pains coming down from my, my right temple down my face. And I can remember calling the nurse in and mentioning it and she, you know, saying, well, I'll let let the doctor know whoever's on call. And they came in and they just kind of explained it as this is very common. You know, if you've got any type of paralysis or loss of sensation or feeling from, from a stroke, as those nerves start to come back online, um, you know, you can have pain as they're kind of firing back up. And so that, that started pretty much immediately stayed at a pretty constant low level for quite a while. And it wasn't probably until about six months afterwards that it kind of started to ramp up, which apparently is, is fairly common. Um, can happen if you, if you do have any type of pain after a stroke, it can kind of lie dormant or at a lower level for a little while and then out of nowhere kind of spike. Yeah. So I noticed that you use opiates, uh, doctors of Eastern medicine, which I'm assuming is like acupuncture cupping, maybe drinking teas, uh, you know, whatever they had, because I know that that some of that helped me, Mm -hmm. but I didn't necessarily have anything that that I felt was so bad that that was going to cause me to take medication. Yeah. You know, like you said in the the intro, I had over 25 different medications that I tried. So I ended up going, um, you know, after this persisted for quite a while, my neurologist was, you know, at that point felt like I needed to go to the pain management center um, and so I went there and it was a lovely group of doctors. I think there's this stigma in America where we don't want to go to pain management because we feel like, you know, that it's a big brother, that they think you're a drug addict or whatnot. I, I had the complete opposite experience. Everyone was uh, wonderful, very caring, very sympathetic. Um, you know, I had doctors cry with me, you know, with the devastation of yet another medicine not helping. Um, but yeah, um, tried over 25 different medications and we're talking everything from various opiates to all sorts of antidepressants because they have um, pain modulating side right. effects. Um, tried uh, gabapentin is a very common uh, neuro uh, therapy medication. Tried that. I was on, you know, a maximum dose of that. I was taking like 3,600 milligrams a day. Oh, wow. So at this point, I gained a ton of weight. I wasn't sleeping. I mean, I was literally sleeping maybe two to three hours a night if I could get sleep and it was intermittent. Um, just really constant, severe shooting pain in, in the face. Um, and anything could trigger it. Uh, so weird. Um, you know, if, if I got a, a moment of relief, literally a raindrop, if a raindrop hit my cheek, it, it could just set my whole face on fire. That's what I always told my wife. It felt like it was on fire. Um, but yeah, I, I ended up getting nerve blocks in my face. Um, I got Botox injections. I mean, they tried every, they pulled out all the stops. <laughs> um, yeah. and, and yeah, luckily Vanderbilt has uh, an incredible pain management clinic. Then they also have their, they have actually, um, an entire clinic for Eastern medicine, which is really awesome because you, you know, it's not really necessarily common in the South. Yeah. Um, I would say for a physician to work with a doctor of Eastern medicine, you know, person, that number one is unusual. It's like an MD, DO working with, uh, you know, a chiropractor or, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever. A lot of times they don't do that. So that's fantastic. Yeah. Acupuncture actually um, 
brought me some of the most relief, honestly. Um, and you know, I, I don't, I don't know if it's placebo. I don't know if it's real. I, I'm not here to debate that. But uh, that's honestly one of the few times that I found that I could actually get consistent sleep. Is if I went in for an acupuncture appointment, I would get the needles in and I would lay in the the recliner and and sleep for an hour or two, <laughs> um, yeah. which which was lovely. But yeah, um, eventually, you know, it just got to the point uh, point where I, I met with the the uh, head doctor of the pain management clinic. And he sat me down and he was just like, you know, we've, we've pretty much exhausted all the options that we have. And so this is the point, you know, at that point I was about 30 years old. Um, and you know, he said, you know, he was very honest, you know, you're, you're going forward, it's going to be opiates and we're going to have to up the dose because that's how opiates work. Your body gets used to it. And you're only getting temporary relief as you take the opiates. You're going to have to take more and more. You're going to have to take higher doses. You're going to have to, you know, and so he he basically laid out, you know, you have this life of essentially drug dependency ahead of you. Um, and at that point, I had a, a child, one one small child. I felt like, you know, I, I wasn't a husband. I wasn't a father. I couldn't, you know, felt like I couldn't give anything um, to my family. Um, but luckily, uh, the, the doctor was friends with a neurosurgeon at Vanderbilt. And he said, I was talking about your case the other day with him. And he thinks you might be a really good candidate for something that he does, which is called deep brain stimulation. Um, and so he kind of laid it out for my wife and I, and on the surface, it sounded terrifying <laughs> to be completely honest. And it, you know, it was brain surgery. It was inserting something into my brain that would stay there for the rest of my life. Um, you know, it sounded incredibly invasive, but at the end of the day, he was like, you know, at, at least just go meet with him and talk to him. And he said, I think you'll, you'll get a lot out of it. So we did. Uh, we went and met with Dr. Peter Conrad. He's actually no longer at Vanderbilt. He now works for the Rockefeller Center um, and is uh, working with Congress to help uh, actually get rid of some of the issues with insurance denying people coverage for certain things, uh, which is really cool. That um, is cool. Yeah, so he's a wonderful man. Uh, met with him. And, and so deep brain stimulation is something that has been used since the 70s, most commonly for treating things like Parkinson's um, and essential tremors. So it, it helps with the tremors of the body. Um, and what it is, is is a very, so it is, it is brain surgery. It is invasive. So they open up the brain and they insert a very small rod. I mean, we're, we're talking very, very tiny and basically insert a very small little chip, um, electronic chip into a portion of the brain that is damaged or is having the issues and then they they run a wire to it into a small battery which is like a pacemaker device that sits right underneath your collarbone and it, it just basically sends a very small electronic uh, pulse to that area of the brain and kind of tricks it into not feeling those sensations and so I, I my wife and I met with him and he just you know was an incredible doctor had an incredible bedside manner just uh, was able to talk uh, in non-medical terms and, and bring it down to a, a, a normal person's level. <laughs> um, yes. But he he did about 200 of these surgeries a year for mostly people with Parkinson's. But he said, uh, I've done a handful and I've been doing a ton of research on people with pain. You know, there's a lot of other uses for this. Now, he told me right out of the gate, this is not approved by the FDA. So this is going to be a fight with your insurance. He said, but I feel about 75 to 80% chance of this being successful for you for completely mitigating your pain to a point that it, it's not going to interfere with your life. And so we, my wife and I, you know, went home, prayed about it and talked about it. And, you know, we are like, uh, we, we got to try it. I mean, it's this or, or a life of drug addiction ahead, you know, at 30 years old. And 
So we did it. We decided to, to go forward with it and uh, did took about six months of fighting with my insurance company to get it uh, finally approved. He wrote some very strongly worded letters. He obviously attached a ton of research and met with he got other doctors from around the world to write letters on my behalf, which was which was great. And so in 2016, the summer of 2016, I, I went to Vanderbilt, had the surgery. Uh, it's actually a series of three surgeries um, spread out over three weeks. And the second surgery is the the main big surgery. Um, it's about a five hour long surgery. I was awake for uh, about three, three and a half hours of it. So I was actually oh, awake when they um, opened my skull, drilled a hole into my skull. So it's, I mean, it's, it, it, it's not as awful as it sounds. I'll be the first. It's, you know, it's no uh, walk in the park. It's definitely, you know, it was, it was terrifying to be completely yeah. honest, but uh, you know, everyone that was there was incredible. And, you know, I was, I didn't, I wasn't in pain. You know, I was, I was comfortable. Um, so did they do that? Because as the, whatever it is that they're putting in or doing, they have to make sure it's going to the right place. Is yes, that why yeah. you had to be awake? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. So the very first surgery that you have is they, they put you under and you have some um, very thorough MRI and CAT scans done to where they, they actually put you under so that you cannot move because they have to get such precise scans. Um, and then at that point, they're able to measure and mark all the markings that they're going to go in. And then they make custom fitted guides, targeting guides to where they can get this in the exact spot in the brain. And so basically what it had come down to, why I was having the pain sensation you know, initially they treated it as if the nerves in my face were damaged. There's nothing wrong with the nerves in my face. The problem right. is my brain. So there is a there is a spot that I was shown on the MRI. It's about the size of a pin tip, just a very small little dot in my brain that just was damaged during the stroke, that it was, you know, deprived from oxygen, from blood. And uh, that just happens to be in the part of my face, uh, the part of my brain that controls sensation, hot, cold, pain, uh, sensations in the right side of my face. So uh, they actually were able to put that chip right next to that. And I have the ability to turn this um, stimulator on and off um, as I need. And uh, I can, I can tell it's on just slightly. There's a very, very faint tingling sensation when I turn it on, but honestly it it goes away in about 10 minutes where I don't even notice it anymore. So that was going to be a question that I was going to ask at any point. Does it, are you able to quit using it? But that kind of answered it that, it's kind of something you can turn on and off mm-hmm. as needed. Do you right. find that as time has gone on that you use it a little less? Or is it just one of those weird things where, again, something hits you just the right way and you turned on? It's a little bit of both. You know, one thing I learned from the pain management clinic is pain is, especially in the body, is like a feedback loop. Uh, the more you start having pain, the more you tense your body, the more your, your blood pressure raises, you know, your body goes into your, your hurting that just does nothing that all that does is amplify the pain. It makes it worse and worse and worse. And it just feeds off of itself. And so it being able to, to break that cycle of the pain, uh, by just turning this on and within, you know, 25 minutes, it basically, the pain just kind of melts away and I don't have to run it. I can run it for about an hour, maybe two hours. And then I turn it off. And sometimes I'll go three or four days without turning it on at all. Sometimes I'll turn it on three or four times in a day for several days in a row. Just like you were saying, there is just kind of like with the aphasia, there's, there's no rhyme or reason to it. I have noticed sometimes like hot, humid weather um, in the summer. Sometimes that can make it a little worse if I'm stressed, if I'm not feeling well. Some things can, I, I've definitely been able to pinpoint a few triggers. Okay. 
before we close out today, mm-hmm. is there anything that you'd like to tell our listeners? Yeah, uh, I think the biggest thing that I've learned through all of this is, is that you're not alone. No matter what, you know, anytime this is happening, whether you're 70 years old, whether you're 20 years old, whether you're 10 years old, whether you're at the best hospital in the world, you can feel alone. And I can remember feeling numerous times throughout this journey from the stroke, from the, the pain management clinic, from the surgery, that I was alone, that I'm the only person that is suffering from this. Nobody understands. My wife doesn't even understand because she can't feel the pain. Um, she's not going through the stroke. She's taking care of me and she's having her own issues in her own struggles with that. And she felt alone, but you're not alone. So it can be hard to find, you know, that was a big challenge for me was finding support groups because again, stroke, you know, happens the most frequently to people that are a little bit older. So finding a, a support group with people that could relate to what my wife and I were going through at 20, 30 years old was difficult, but you know, it is out there. Luckily we are connected to this awesome thing called the internet. There are communities out there for anything. Just find, you know, just do some digging. I, I promise you'll find it. You're not alone. Yeah. Um, even if somebody's not going through the exact same thing you're going through, they can relate in some way. Well, and I always say, you know, we've all had a stroke, but even if it's right-sided, ischemic, you know, it's still, mm-hmm. each one is different and you're, each yes. person is going to be different in their recovery. But you're right. There are stroke support groups. So, If you like doing it online, there's Facebook support groups that support stroke survivors that are parents, Mm -hmm. stroke survivors that are young, general stroke survivors. There's stroke survivors and I have one that's in St. Louis and, you know, and different things like that. So um, they are out there online, especially in person. I know that it gets frustrating because even at 52, when you're 27, you look at us and you say, oh, that's an old fogey there. <laughs> and, and guys, nothing against that either way, but mm-hmm. it, it is what it is because my needs were different than what somebody who was 27 was. And I am considered at that point by a young person as old. So I get it. But do keep looking because there are those that do have younger people. Mine have had younger people in their, you know, late 20s, you know, to 40s, which that's still fairly young and having kids Mm and, and, or, or at least young kids. Um, But there are those and they would just come crying to me because everybody in the one they'd been going to were in their seventies. And, you know, there was no relation other than they treated them like a child, you know, like their kids or grandkids, which is fine. But yet on the same, it's not what you need. Right. So just keep looking. I, I do want to tell people to do that because support groups are wonderful and let you know that you're not alone. And um, all of us feel alone once we've had a stroke because, I, you know, I didn't know there were so many people that had strokes. I work in a hospital setting uh, with ICU intensivists that you would have seen. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so, I mean, I knew about stroke. I knew People had strokes, but I thought mostly it was old people. (laughs) Same. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's not. So, um, keep looking, you know, for those supports. Um, but I'm glad you found, uh, pain relief. Thank you. Um, because I know that can be horrendous 24 seven to have this pain that doesn't go away. I mean, it wears on you. I don't know how people do it. Um, but anyway, thank you for being with us today. 
I hope everyone has enjoyed listening to this because it is something different that we haven't talked about before. And uh, this is the Hand in Hand show, a part of Stroke Focus. See you all on the radio. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Hand in Hand show. We hope you enjoyed it. If you would like to keep the discussion going, please join Stroke Focus, the social media website dedicated to stroke survivors and caregivers. The website address is https colon backslash backslash www.strokefocus.net. Stroke Focus is S T R O K. E-F-O-C-U-S. Stroke Focus is a part of Wohala, which in Mandarin means I have survived. If you wish to be a part of the show or would like to be interviewed as part of the show, please contact us at contact at strokefocus.net.